Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk. Today I have with me Ms. Sharika Kellogg. Sharika is a choice boy mom, speaker, and CEO who educates mothers on how to push past limiting mindsets, optimize their time, and build additional income streams through network of trainings, courses, planners, and experiences. Sharika can be contacted at sharikakellogg.com and she also has a podcast called the 25-8 mom podcast and I will have that in the show notes for you guys to check out so you can click and go so we appreciate you for letting you us be a part of your day and Sharika can you just start at the beginning of your journey and where you were like in your career and when you decided to be a choice mom okay um well the beginning of my journey actually started way before my choice to be a choice mom. Mm-hmm. I, I always wanted to be a mom. I started actually really young with trying to become a, a mom, have a family. Mm-hmm. I my high school sweetheart for over 28 years and we got pregnant several times, but I can never carry the pregnancy to term. I've never seen a heartbeat. I've never made it past six weeks and it was devastating. And of course, I was just like any other woman that wanted to have a child. I went on the internet. I bought a bunch of herbs and supplements to assist me. I charted. I, you name it, I did it. I bought infertility sticks from everywhere. They were just everywhere in every aspect of our house. And then after I would say my sixth miscarriage, I, I said I was done. I was like, um, that's enough. Our relationship had actually deteriorated because of that dream of mine and I was 28 years old and so my mom took me on vacation to Florida and while she took a nap I got a job I was I'm originally from New Jersey she took a nap I got a job I got an apartment and on the flight back I told her I was moving to Florida wow Yeah, I just needed that change of scenery. And mind you, still in my relationship, um, I got home. I gave my two weeks notice where I used to work, which was Merrill Lynch. And I told my my then boyfriend, I said, I'm moving to Florida. I need to just get out of this environment. I need to start over. At that point, basically, I needed to grow up and figure out what I wanted to do. And we tried to make it work. He came to Florida. I started my new job. I started my new life. I came from a big family in New Jersey, and I was the only person here, and and that didn't work out. And I, once that relationship ended, I said, what does my life look like now? How do I create my family? And I wasn't about to jump back into a relationship. I wanted to find myself and know myself, and I was like, I could do this by myself. I could, I could have a family on my own. So back to the research, still charting my temperatures. Bought a couple vials of sperm and found an infertility doctor down here that would work with me. Mm. And um, I did three IUIs and a quality looked great. You know, he was very optimistic. Nothing happened. Did it again. Quality, you know, didn't look so great. 
nothing happened. One more time, nothing happened. He was like, all right, our next steps are IVF. Luckily, I worked for a company that paid for all this, mm-hmm. uh, including the medication. And so I, I was you know, just rolling the dice. And it was, uh, it was hard because I was doing a long dose, like the medication, you know, has you on the roller coaster. The failed attempts have you a little bit you know, going a little haywire. I was trying you know, the pineapple trick after each of them, sitting up at home with my legs up afterwards, just everything, you know, fantasizing about what will happen once I see that positive pregnancy test. And when it didn't happen and I went to IVF, I could be buying a house with this money, but at this point I had to pay half of it because I ran out of my fertility um, budget with my insurance. So I paid for half of it for IVF. I actually only had two eggs that they could work with and completely happened. I didn't want to do it one more time. And I went to another doctor at this point, one that was willing to do at this point, I'm 38 years old, mm-hmm. about to be 38. And mm-hmm. okay, I want to deal with someone that's going to work with me and listen to me at this point. I felt like I knew what was going on with my body. And he did. He listened to everything. We checked every, we ran every test possible prior to doing the IVF. He's like, I can't figure out what's going on with you. Let's roll this dice, have it one more time. He was like, but I'm only doing it with you one more time. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So put the money down. Everything started. He had me on the very top tier. My body just was not reacting to any of the medication anymore. So he was increasing meds by day. It just And finally, he was like, we just have to pull the plug. We're going to give you your trigger. We're going to bring you in and see what we have. And out of everything they had, I had three viable. But when they went in, it was only one. And it was it was the worst egg he said he'd ever seen, but they were going to try anyway. And they inseminated it and he said, we'll call you back. And they did call me back. So mind you, I live in West Palm Beach. I had to go all the way down to Miami, which is about a two hour ride with a full bladder. I'm sitting in the lobby. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Finally, I go up to the um, window. I'm like, I'm here. I'm supposed to be, you know, getting my procedure done today. Could you please assist me? Like, I have to go to the bathroom at this point. Mm-hmm. She was just like, oh, no, they canceled you. And I was like, what? Got the doctor on the phone. He was like, it fragmented. Mm. This is what's happening with your eggs. We finally figured it out. After your eggs, once it's, you know, introduced with the sperm, it fragments. So that's what's happening with your pregnancies. Every time you get pregnant, it will take but then it will fragment so what you're seeing is the residual part you know the residual um, hormones in your body and that's how you're getting that positive test and I was like oh okay well that would be good to know before I drove down here so on that day it was May 6 um, 2014 I had also closed on my house which was also my dad's birthday so when I first started this last round of IVF, I also decided that I was also going to foster a child. I started a resolve meeting, first, very first resolve meeting that I ever went to. Mm-hmm. One of the members or one of the, the administrators stood up and told her story. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks because I 
my husband and I started fostering. We got a one-year-old little boy. He's adorable, and it looks like it's going to adoption. Let me tell you about adoption. And it, like, piqued my, you know, my interest. I was like, well, wait, a one-year-old in adoption so fast? And she told her story, and I, after the meeting, I was like, this is my first meeting. I would love to hear more about adoption. And she was like, no, it's fostering. It's not fostering to adoption. You have to understand the causes, and you have to understand that there are consequences. Like, you may have to give that child back. You may have to do, and I was like, okay, let's sit down and talk. I want to know everything. Now, again, I come from a big family, and I mm -hmm. should have known all of this because my mother has 10 sisters, and half of them are social workers. Right, okay, yeah. And I never... It just never dawned on me. We always had foster kids at every event because they would bring them and they were just part of our life. And I just, it never clicked to me like fostering. And so I, while going on my, my last IVF journey, I was taking my foster classes. I went to literally six agencies that through all their orientations, found the one that resonated with me one, uh, the most. So there was two that actually resonated, but one was closer. So it was just like looking for sperm. It was just like looking for an egg donor. I was looking for an agency that was going to be my village. And I took a 10-week course, and I finished the course right before my retrieval. And then I, at the same time, I was looking for a house, found my house, closed on my house. And then, you know, the IVF did not take. It didn't happen. And so when I got home after closing, I packed up my last box. My movers were coming the next day and I was on the internet. I was like, I'm still going to have a baby. I want to experience having a child. So I went to the Barbados Infertility Clinic website, looked around. I, I looked at Czech Republic. I looked at Greece, everywhere. But Barbados required me to have an affidavit signed from my husband or boyfriend saying that I could come there and you know, do IVF or have a donor um, embryo, but Barbados did not. So I looked for the best one and I purchased two. Wow. And I said, okay, I have two there. I'm going to do fostering as well. And I'm going to renovate my house that I just closed on. I'm going to have my family any way that I can. I chickened out on fostering for about I would say I closed on my house in May. I didn't get my first placement until the day after my 38th, my 39th birthday. Mm. So it was maybe six months. No, oh, six months. Okay. months. Yeah. And it was funny because I renovated the whole house, had the nursery set up, diapers, clothing. I, just, I told them I wanted a little boy. My age range was between zero and six months because I, I wanted to experience a baby. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they called me and they kept calling me for little girls for some reason I didn't want a little girl I wanted a little boy and I, I kept telling my mom I was like I say no one more time they're, they're not gonna allow me to foster so the next call was like the day after my birthday I was about to go out with my girlfriends and they go we have a little boy here he is three months about to be four months and you know are you willing to take him? I was like, well, what's his history? And they gave me a little bit of his background. And I said, okay. And left work at one o'clock in the afternoon with the Target, bought more diapers, more clothes, and waited. And 
like a pizza delivery. I went at eight o'clock, knocked on my door. It was raining. He handed me a baby. I didn't even know his name. Mm. And she said, at least he's cute. And I was like, yeah, he's cute. And she walked away and this kid just looked at me and I looked at him. I had to call her back and be like, what's his name? She told me his name. And from that point, I was just like completely in love. Embryos forgotten. Mm-hmm. Baby in hand. And so I call him Juice. <laughs> that's not his real name, but that's Aww. what he's called. And Juice was with me for two years. And he was the love of my life. Like if I had an only child, Juice was it. Mm-hmm. And then his mother um, was getting her other children back. So she was able to get him back. And it broke my heart. I couldn't understand. Like, I'm the best mom for him. I'm the only one that he knows. You know, I rationalized. But I also made a decision when I started fostering that I would work with the uh, the bio parents as much as possible. So her, I forged a friendship, whether she wanted one or not, because I wanted her to know that I was there for that child. Um, I fostered a relationship with his father, who was incarcerated at the time. I did everything I could to seamlessly transfer him into his new role in life and make that next chapter as happy as possible for him. Yeah, yeah. And the day that I learned that I was losing him, my agency said, here's another little boy that just came into care. He was born on Thanksgiving, and we would love for you to meet him. And I was just like, I'm losing my baby. I don't want to meet another kid. I don't want another kid. Like, you can't replace this one. So I said, no. Two weeks later, you know, my, my support worker said, remember that little boy I was telling you about? He's up for adoption. And I was like, you guys always say that. He was like, no, seriously, he's fast-tracked to adoption. We think that he is perfect for you. We put him at a temporary foster home. But if you want to go and meet him, he's yours. And I was just like, like a puppy. <laughs> like, that was right. my first day. Mm-hmm. And she goes, coordinate the meeting get to this lady's door knock on the door and she i hear this child screaming whereas juice was like this docile even killed child this kid is screaming his head off and i didn't know anything like the foster mom that had him was supposed to tell me his whole background etc and so i get there and she hands she opens the door and puts the baby in my hand mm. here you go this is the baby and he stops crying and she just looks at me just like he has not stopped crying since he woke up this morning. Like he cries all day, all night. And I was like, "Are you trying to scare me?" She was like, "No, I'm just trying to tell you that is amazing that he just got in your arms and stopped crying." And I was like, "Okay." So she tells me his story, and basically, he's a little fighter. He he was born addicted. His mother left him at the hospital. He had um. She had HIV. He was born without, but he still had to take the medication to get him off, so he couldn't take the medication to get him off uh, to withdraw from the drugs that was in the system. Mm. So he was a fighter through and through. I bought him home on Christmas Eve. Valentine's Day, the judge terminated his mother's rights, and I adopted him on Mother's Day. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So he was my first adoption, but my second child. Meanwhile, Juice went back to his biological mother. And so I was back to one child. And I was like, okay. People are like, are you going to continue to foster? And I said, why not? This is what, you know, this is what I love to do. These children, I have the room. 
Why not? Mm -hmm. So come July, we get another phone call, little boy. And then that little boy got uh, one of his relatives came. So next day I get another phone call for another little boy just born eight hours ago. Can I come to the hospital to pick him up? And I said, sure, no problem. Get to the hospital, pick up this child, and the lady at the front desk at the, of the hospital. And I wanted a newborn, so my agency was like, I want to experience being in a wheelchair. We're wheeled out with a baby in my arms. She's like, no problem. Mm -hmm. I get to the hospital, and the security guard says, he's so cute. He looks just like you. Mm. Like, oh, great. Like, I'm lucky with these little cute kids, and one looks just like me. So, you know, a brother for smalls which is my second little guy and this is perfect and I get up to NICU baby's crying again and they usher me into the room and he is the cutest little cream child you can ever see with brown hair and gray eyes Whoa. I'm looking at the lady like I don't think I'm in the right room and she goes why not and I was like well African-Americans, Caucasian, they don't quite do it that way. It's usually vice versa. Mm -hmm. She was like, hey, this is what you got. And I was like, and the lady said he looks like me. He doesn't look like me. She was like, what you got? And I lived in denial for this one for two years that he was with me. They were like, oh, he's up for adoption. Are you going to keep him? What they say? I loved him. Uh, I'll see what they say. Mm -hmm. Fought for him. But I was just in denial. And on his second birthday, I adopted him. Wow. He became a blonde hair or gray eye little Helen. Mm -hmm. And so I made the choice on all my boys to bring them into my home, into my family. And I thought long and hard. Single mother, am I not going to be able to do this? And I'm, am I going to be able to give them the quality of life that they could have had with two parents? How do I explain to them how they came into this world or how we became a family? But it doesn't really matter. You know, people look at me and they're like, well, why didn't you have your own children? I was like, I did have my own children. I received them this way. This is the children that I was meant to have. So although I spent a small fortune trying to have my own biological children, I think this was the best route that I could have chosen to build my family, create yeah. my family. And how did you get your uh, your third little one? Actually, Juice came back. I'm sorry. Okay, he did. Okay. okay. Yes. So, okay. and he's the only one that is not adopted the state of Florida because I maintained such a great relationship with his mom and dad. When it was time to remove him again, Florida immediately put him back. His parents even requested it, put him back with me. So he was only gone for six months. Okay. And during that time, I had him like every other weekend, things like that. So he came back and it was just almost like he never left. And I started laughing. I was like, I didn't think on three kids. I went into this with the hopes of having just one child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And somehow I became a mom of three. Wow. What a touching journey. Ooh, wow. That's amazing. And it seemed, and it, you know, it's just like you were saying earlier, it, how it all just came together with all three of them, especially, yeah. you know, at the moments of meeting them for the first time, you know, and I truly believe that children are not only 
tied to us by blood if you give birth to them, but for those children who are, are maybe abandoned by their biological moms or dads, you know, I think there's a soul tie connection when a child is meant to be yours and adoption takes place. And so I feel like with your own story and your, and your journey, those soul ties were there long before you even knew anything about any of them. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. And I was going to ask you, were there moments of uncertainty emotionally that you went through while you were going through the fostering system and taking the classes and when there seemed like you weren't going to find that baby or those babies that you felt connection to during the adoption process? Absolutely. Um, when I was going through the foster classes, you know, I'm sitting there with couples. And that's the hardest part of this journey is going through it as a single person is just, you know, sitting among that love each other and are going to create a family, whether it's through fostering or infertility. And um, I would tell you that my whole foster class were full of couples going through infertility treatment at the same time. Mm. They all went through my journey too. So it, that, that village that I created once I started fostering is all similar individuals. We've all walked the journey of IVF, IUI. Still some women still are walking it, trying to still having a biological child while um, fostering or adopting. And when I was doing that, I was just, when I was in that course, I was just like, am, is this the right step for me? Mm-hmm. Am I enough? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able to do this? One thing I always joke about with people when I tell my story, and give my speech to people, is one thing no one ever tells you as you're going through your IVF journey or your IUI journey or anything like that with infertility to create your families. They don't tell you about the daycare bill. Oh my gosh, no, no, no never. <laughs> I was like, that's how they should start a foster class. That's how they should start infertility mm-hmm. um, orientation. So you want to be a parent. Let me show you what the daycare bill looks like compared to yeah. your IVF bill. You know, they don't tell you about those or the sick days that you have to take, like the real life experience. Yes. And I yes. say, you know, and I say, if I didn't have, if I had known all that stuff, I probably would have stalled in my tracks and been like, let me rethink this. But when I was having those insecurities, it was just about, will this child know that I love them enough to put myself out there to do this? Will this child know how much I uh, struggled with this decision? Or will this child know how much this means to me that they're calling me mommy? Mm -hmm. And it was something that, it was one of the reasons I halted in taking my first placement because I was just initially scared I was just like this is real like it's not like IVF where you have you get pregnant and you have nine months to wait wait it out so I guess right. you could say my stall was my nine months of waiting out you know what this child would be or who this child would be to me and coming to how it would come into my life wow yeah after you got your baby you got your first adopted baby did you feel like you were were there moments where you ever felt like you were not going to be able to handle mothering and everything that comes along with it by yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Positively, yes. So uh, my first adoption, I actually was in a relationship and it's kind of hard. I've, you know, I have a five-year-old, four-year-old, and three-year-old. So imagine trying to date like that. And then when you're a foster parent, you're 
person that you're dating has to have a background check and fingerprints before they can even come near your child or day the night or anything like that. So as a single person, it's like I had to put my personal life on hold so that I could give them my all because anyone that I bought into their area, into their atmosphere and their environment needed to be as safe and secure as I was. And so I did venture back into dating and a relationship right when I was about to adopt my my first little guy. So my second child was my first adoption. And unfortunately, he was a little selfish. <laughs> mm. And I, I had to choose. I had to say, okay, this is more important. My family's more important than being happy with this gentleman. And so on his adoption, the guy said, where do I fit in? And I told him, don't. And I was like, if you're going to make this about you, then you don't. And, you know, when I said that, I was like, my fear was like, I'm going to be alone raising kids. Mm-hmm. How do, I don't know how to introduce a gentleman into the world that I've created. Yeah. And so yeah. that has been the fear. And then right after that, I started working. Um, I was working for a company for 15 years and they were doing layoffs. And I'm a savvy girl. So I got laid off. I thanked them for everything that they gave me because they were an amazing company. And um, as I'm walking out the door, I'm on my cell phone getting another job with an old boss that just created the company. And I worked for that gentleman for a year. And because my children are from foster care, one thing I'll, I'll be completely honest, you're going to get damaged sickly children and you have to build up their mm-hmm. immunity. You have to get them to a healthy place where they're able to breathe without nebulizers like that. So I was missing work. I was trying to get therapy sessions in place. I was doing a lot of things that you have to do as a foster parent. And my, um, my boss didn't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. He barely gave me the day off for adoption. And so I was, um, it was Christmas, almost Christmas Eve. It was a Friday, a Thursday before Christmas Eve, um, about two or three years ago. And he said, he sent me a text message that said, hey, it doesn't look like you're doing mommy and right. It's like, it doesn't look like you're making it at all with two mm-hmm. kids. Perhaps you should give one back and revisit the well when you get it right with one. Mm-hmm. And I felt like such a mom failure with that text message. And it, it stunk me. It was just like, wow, I'm not. You know, I'm supposed to be superwoman. I'm supposed to be this great mom and I'm supposed to be this great employee and have it all together. Like that is how everyone saw me, at least I thought. And I clearly did not have it together. And, um, you know, I sat there looking at that text message for a while and then I got angry and I was like, you wouldn't say that to a person that had a child and then got pregnant, would you? And say, hey, by the way, you should not have that kid because you're not doing it right with this first one that you already have. And I was like, so why would you send me that? Like, do you think because they're foster kids, you can just, I could just give one back? I was like, come on now. And I wrote my resignation letter with no lie, $342 in my bank account. And I created my own company that night. And I handed him my resignation letter during our meeting to talk about my attendance and my attention to details and things like that. And I was like, I sorry, I can't work here. If that's how you feel, I need to be at home with my children. And I, and since you won't allow me to work virtually, I'm leaving this company. 
However, you do need someone to do the work that I'm doing. So I started my own virtual business and I would love for you to be my first client. And that's how my business took off. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Wow. That's an amazing story. Wow. So I can't he, imagine saying it to an old boss. Like, yeah, but if you need some services. <laughs> well, I mean, he looked at me. Yeah. He was like, well, you know, I guess I need to find someone to fill out what you do. And we need to figure out what you do. And I was pretty much the office manager, the customer service person. Like, it was a small yeah. startup business. So he needed a couple people to do what I did. And. I was just like, I could do it from home. I've been telling you that. So that's how I was saying. Yeah, you've been saying it for years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. And so tell me a little bit about your podcast and so, how that was shaped. Okay. The 25 8 Mom is basically it's a, it's a chat with other moms about having time for themselves and me time. Um, it's basically me talking talking to adults because I have three little people and I don't get to talk to too many adults, especially with quarantine. Um, But it's also very emphasis on making sure that you take time for yourself. One thing that I did not do, um, and you can tell from my story, is I put myself all in to being a mom. So I didn't date. I didn't go to movies. I didn't allow babysitters. I basically was just all in. I was that type of mom. Even with the restrictions being lifted once I adopted and, mm-hmm. you know, had permanent fault, um, permanency over yeah. my children. I just, I couldn't let go. And then one day I hired a babysitter, one that I knew, <laughs> and I left the house for an hour and just sat literally in my car at Dunkin' Donuts and drank a cup of coffee and it felt so good. Mm. And so I was just like, I am being, I'm a mom 24 seven. I was like, no, I'm a mom 25, eight. Like mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. have an extra hour in my day, extra day <laughs> in my week. I'm constantly doing mom things. What do I need to do for myself? And the first step was I did a momcation with um, another virtual assistant that I met uh, when I first started my business. So her and I left our children and went to a hotel for the weekend. I flew mm-hmm. my mother in to watch the boys. She had her husband watch her child and we did a weekend of just basically we worked, but it was like, we talked to each other. We collaborated. It was, it was not, there was no pressure, you know, cause we could talk about our children and not feel, mm-hmm. not feel like, Oh my goodness, we can't, we can't, you know, not, you know, some people are like, Oh gosh, she's talking about our kids again. Mm-hmm. But this was like mm-hmm. so comfortable. And wow. And so we did that. Then my next year, I went to Cabo by myself for a weekend. And I didn't feel guilty. Like the first week, first time I felt guilty, the next time I didn't. So it's just like, moms need to understand that they need to take this time for themselves and not feel guilty of it. Not have that mom guilt of, I'm enjoying myself doing something for myself. Mm-hmm. And then the next step of that is figuring out that you have time to do this. How do you get right. that time to right. actually do this? And it's just more of looking at your day, looking at your personal life and your professional life. If you're a business owner and finding ways to combine tasks so that you have that extra time. And then the third step is making sure no matter what you make the time each day for yourself, which is have that hard stop every night at a certain time where you just say, laptop closed, kids mm-hmm. are in bed, I'm not folding another thing, I'm not washing another dish, 
this is my time. So it's like yeah. making that sure you schedule. can wait moment. <laughs> yeah. Instead yeah. of that what's next moment. Because I, I find like my, my middle son is always, what's next, mommy? What's next? And Uh-oh. that mm-hmm. what's next moment is, you know, I'm always there too. Like, what what now? What do I have to do? Mm-hmm. I wake up and it's like shutting learning how to shut, shut off your off. brain yeah. Yeah. and just say nothing's next right now until I wake up in the morning. So it's like getting yourself to the place where you can stop doing work and figuring out, you know, this is my time. I'm going to go on Amazon and window shop, put everything in my shopping cart, but not buy anything. Or I'm going to read this book that I've had in my Kindle for over a year. Mm-hmm. Something. Mm-hmm. I'm on like a TV, watch me, you know, yeah, <laughs> things simple like that. things, simple. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the simple things are always the most rewarding, especially like reading a book. If you've always been, always been an avid reader, that's I something have. I miss being able to do, you know, oh, yeah. being a work from home, stay, stay at home mom is just sitting down and reading a book for 20, 30 minutes, easy, you know, and it's, um, you take that stuff for granted when you have the opportunity oh. to still be able to do it, you know? Absolutely. And then with yeah. the quarantine, like trying to fit in my me time has yeah. been different. I, and I was just like, why is it different? I'm home. Right. And I was like, I'm home. So it shouldn't be different, but it's because we're all here and I'm constantly running behind the kids. So I have to be more conscientious of my me time now. So mm-hmm. I staggered my schedule. I, I'm working more at night because now the boys are in school, virtual school. And, um, but I'm still doing nine o'clock. I'm done. I don't, it doesn't matter. I may push it to 10, but I'm shutting down at a certain time and just being like, it's, this is my time just to breathe, whether it's just to do a prayer, do med- uh, meditation, right. something. I'm, this is me. This is my time to be. And it's, it's working out. It took me a little bit of time to get to that rhythm um, once we started quarantining ourselves, but we've gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. And so in closing, what advice would you give someone or a couple or a listener thinking about adoption as an option? I would tell them to talk to each other, communicate and look within. And the reason I say that is you have to be willing. And now there's certain things, there's adoption from foster care where you have to be un- open and understanding that your child may not be adopted. The first child that comes in your house may not be adopted. I have been lucky. Um, you know, although one of my children has gone home, the other two have never left me since they've come into my home um, and has gone to adoption within a year to two years. Um, but you have to be open to the possibility that the first child may not be the one that makes your family complete. The second one may not be. It may take a couple children before this even happens. So that's why I, you know, people look at my circumstances and they're like, oh, we're going to adopt. As soon as our first person that comes into our house, we're going to adopt this child. And I'm like, no, you cannot look at me. Mm-hmm. Take me as the example. Look at the person that has lost 10 children or not lost them, but actually, you know, reunified 10 children. Um, from you know foster care back home so that is the perfect example yeah and then um but if they're doing straight adoption if they're doing straight adoption then i would say that 
just be open to possibilities of what comes next. I mean, the bond isn't always right there. Mm. And sometimes you have, you have to understand that that bond may take a little bit of you getting to know that other new person into your life and creating that family about that, that person's wants and needs. So a lot of people go into adoption thinking, this is my baby. And you have to kind of get to know that person. It's just, yeah. it's a baby is a person and it may not be that ideal image that you have in your mind, that vision that you played out over and over again when you bring the baby home and everything's perfect. And so I always just caution people to make sure that they are um, open to all possibilities of how their vision may go in a different light. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. I especially like the part about making that bond and, and, and finding that connection with the baby or the child. And it's going to take a little bit of work. I mean, everyday moms who have biological children have the same issue sometimes. So that's definitely a great, a great point. And Shrika, I appreciate you so much for getting up so early with me. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and, and being able to tell your journey uh, so authentically this early in the morning. Um, it's, it's truly been a pleasure. And you guys, check out Sharika's website. Again, Sharika Kellogg. Dot com And I will have it in the show notes so that you can click and go. And you will also find her Facebook page as well as her Instagram page on her website as well, her services and her podcast for you to take a listen if you like. And I encourage you to do so. And you guys know how to find me at Infertility and Me podcast on Instagram and Infertility and Me at Outlook.com for your comments, feedback, and recommendations. And I appreciate you guys for giving us your time. And Sharika, again, I appreciate you for giving me your time before the boys get up. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this talk. And I, yeah, if anyone has any questions, I'm here to offer support and suggestions. Awesome. Thank you so much.